Numbers 19. It starts off here in the very first two verses of chapter 19. If you remember, uh, there's, they've been wandering here in the wilderness, the, the nation of Israel. We'll see over the next couple of uh, chapters uh, a change of events uh, that will take place to show they're at the end of this 40-year uh, journey and they'll be going into the promised land finally. Uh, but here tonight, as we take a look at Numbers 19, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord has commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring you a red heifer without blemish, in which there is no defect and on which a yoke has never come. So when you take a look at these two verses, a few things, again, this is God speaking um, and directing and giving instructions to the leaders, Moses being the leader, but also to Aaron, to who was the high priest, to, to from uh, that perspective, that how they were going to worship God and what they needed to do. They were to tell the people, the children of Israel, to bring them a red heifer, and if you remember, a red heifer is a young cow. A heifer means they have not uh, birthed at all a calf. It's, it's too young. That means it does not produce milk. And not only that status of the fact that it has to be a heifer, but also notice that it's not to have any defect, any flaws on the, on the outward vision of it, but also has not taken out a yoke, meaning it's never been worked. And so, and it all ha- also needs to be red. And that's important as we will go through here. That redness is being uh, uh, something of that color. Uh, it gives, if, A, it's very rare to find a red cow. That young red cow, a heifer that's never been impregnated, never been uh, had a calf, never, it doesn't producing milk yet. And the fact that it's not worked at all. But they were supposed to bring this red heifer. What was going to happen to them? Well, we see here in verse 3, you shall give it to Eliezer, the priest, that he may take it outside the camp, and it shall be slaughtered before him. And Eliezer, the priest, shall take some of its blood with its finger and sprinkle some of its blood seven times directly in front of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the heifer shall be burned in his sight, its hide, its flesh, its blood, and its orful shall be burned. And the priest shall take cedar wood hyssop, and scarlet, and cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. Then the priest shall wash his clothes, he shall bathe in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp, and the priest shall be unclean until evening. Remember, that's a ceremonial process here. Verse 8, And one who burns it shall wash his clothes in water, bathe in water, and then and shall be unclean until evening. Then a man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and store them outside the camp in a clean place. They shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for the water of purification. It is for purifying from sin. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And it shall be a statue forever to the children of Israel and to the stranger who dwells among them. 
So this red heifer we see here in these verses would be sacrificed through the customary fashion that we've studied in the past in previous books. But in this case, with a little bit of blood sprinkled at the altar in front of the tabernacle of meeting there, yet the complete carcass was then to be, uh, be burned, which uh, uh, should be burned to create ashes and gathered by one observing the cleansing of the ceremony before and after the gathering of the ashes. So there's a ceremonial things. But what's interesting in these verses 3 through 10 is not only the red heifer, which is rare, but they add three things to the actual burning carcass there to create in those ashes. And those things will be then very important because they're going to be protected because it's going to be added to the water of purification. As it says there in the uh, verse 9, at the end of verse 9, for purifying from sin. What are those three things that he take note of? You'll see those noted in verse 6. It says that the priest shall take the cedar wood and the hyssop and the scarlet and cast them into the midst of the fire, burning the heifer. So when the heifer was burning, the priest would also take cedar wood, throw it in. They would then take hyssop, throw it in, and the scarlet. What are those three things? Well, those three things obviously have a tremendous value of understanding of what those are. Let me take the cedar for the very first one. First of all, cedar is known in those days as being very precious wood. It was very resistant and from disease or any rot. It was a very hard, sturdy uh, wood. And it was well known for that quality and precision to build things, but also for worshiping here to create this purifying, the waters of purification. But the properties may be the reason for to be included into this water, as well as the symbolic reason or reference that we see many times throughout the scripture, but that a symbolic reference to the wood of the cross. Many scholars believe that the cross that Jesus hung on was actually made of cedar wood. So you can, whatever position you'd like, I like that symbolism. I like the chi here on the, uh, on the water of purification and the cedar and the fact that, yes, Jesus may have been uh, hung on that cedar wood, but that is what is one of the items. The second one is hyssop. Where have you seen hyssop said, uh, mentioned before? Well, we said we noticed that th th this is a cleansing ceremony that is used for uh, the ceremony for those declaring lepers being cleansed or being free. We see that Jesus was offered a drink offering as well as a hyssop branch on the cross in Matthew 27, 48. So not only was this hyssop used for the cleansing ceremony for lepers, which is a leprosy is a form of what? And it's symbolic sin. We see that the hyssop is used, that branch, to actually be offered to Jesus on the cross. We see that as a drink offering of hyssop in Matthew 27, 48, like I mentioned. And we also see that David said, purge me with hyssop, Psalm 51, 7. He was admitted he was a, as bad as a leper in that verse, in that, that psalm. He's like, I am a sinful man. I have got leprosy. I am diseased. I am... You know, a, a, a sin is really that symbolic symbols across that. So we see hyssop in the scriptures very consistently tied to that. The third thing here is scarlet. Everyone's triggering on this red, this scarlet red, and the color of blood. 
The pictures of the cleansing blood of Jesus on the cross. Obviously, we think of that when we think of the red blood. We also, scarlet thread is used many times in the scripture, not only in the veil and the curtains of the tabernacle, but that same scarlet thread is used in the garments of the high priest. And it's also used in the tablecloth or covering of the showbread. Another time is when Rahab is rescued by a scarlet red cord. We see that in Joshua 2.21. And we also know out of Matthew 27.28 that the robe that was placed on Jesus, that king's robe that was placed on Jesus as a mockery during his torture by soldiers was also with the scarlet thread. So when you take a look at all three of those things, you can see the symbolic ties to why God is saying this is how they are to do this, um, uh, the water of purification and preparation for that. In verses 11 through 13, we see that he who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean for seven days. He shall purify himself with the water on the, what? Third day. That's purification. And on the seventh day, it's now complete. And then, we, then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day... And on the seventh day, he will not be clean. And whoever touches the body of anyone who has died and does not purify himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord. That person shall be cut off from Israel. (laughs) It's cut off. You're not going to get anywhere near the place. And he shall be unclean because the water of purification was not sprinkled on him. His uncleanliness is still on him. The water has not cleansed the sinner because the sinner would not come. The, 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 the one that has been now defiled, that has that, that putrid dead body on them, of contamination, they were supposed to be cleansed. And they did not if they, don't, they choose not to do that. So God is selling Moses and Aaron to tell the people, make sure this is happening, that to be ceremonially unclean was not sin. In, in guarantee it wasn't based on sin. It was as is it might to think of as it meant that one was uh, barred from a from the fellowship or from the worship of God and their fellowship with God's people because they chose not to come pure, come cleansed, or come properly into the the fellowship, and so. If you're not prepared, you're not cleansed, you're not, you, you, you reject what God is saying, you're, not, you're choosing not to purify yourself on the third and seventh day, then you're saying, I don't want to do what God is asking me to do. So because of that rebellion, because of that, it's not always just sin, it's just sometimes people choose they don't want to do that kinds of things. Uh, from a ceremonial perspective, they, they can't fellowship. Now they're no longer able to fellowship with God's people. They're not able to worship and fellowship with God himself. And he says, I, he does not want to purify himself. That person shall be cut off. So one who was unclean and needed purification and could, could not ignore their condition. 
They knew they were unclean. But it was still part of the nation. And unless they refused to correct their unclean condition, they were going to be put out. Now, where's the parallel in the New Testament? The New Testament parallel is John 13, verses 5 through 11. It's a beautiful parallel. Because if we are bathed by Jesus, we know only... We need only to have our feet washed as they become unclean in the normal practice of life, the scripture says. Yet if we do not let Jesus wash us, we have no part with him. We must receive the beautiful once and for all cleansing Jesus brings to us when we are born again. But yet continually come to him to be cleansed from the day-to-day things that spot us and dirty us up. So as we take and you see this connection here, you not only have to be cleansed once and for all, but each day you must come and confess those things that God brings to remembrance and still bring it to God and lay it at his feet to be cleansed and kept clean through the day and at the end of that day, that is important to keep that relationship with God. Or you cause a separation, you cause this, this, this wedge between uh, that relationship with God. And the warning here that God gives to the people is that you'll defile the tabernacle of the Lord if you do not follow these. These are, these are laws. These are, these are not optional. These laws were relevant, especially to Israel, because especially the priests, because if they didn't keep themselves cleansed or right with God in regards to how they're handling their lives, especially with dead bodies, then there's that potential of defilement of the tabernacle of the Lord. So their disease, if they touch a dead body and they get disease, they could be bringing it in where God dwells, and that cannot happen. Under the new covenant, the Christian also has a special call to purity. Because we can also defile the dwelling place of God. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. And I ponder on that this week, and I'm just, you know, over the last few days, and I'm just sitting here going, it really is that simple to keep a life that is of purity, of holiness, of, of just dwelling with God and not wanting to defile in any way and, and, and be unpleasing to God in any way as I'm dwelling, not just with my relationship with God, but the relationship with others within the body of believers gathering together, how important it is to be right and cleansed by God. To be in the body of Christ, you have to be born again. And when you're even in the body of Christ and and you're going to get spotted and and, and dirtied up with the the day-to-day life, we must stay right with God and confess these things as we go through the day or at the end of the day to stay right so we do not allow these things that are made us dirty possibly spread into the body of Christ, your fellowship with others. And that's why we want to keep ourselves clean. We also see verse 14, this is the law when a man dies in a tent, all who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days. Does that sound like familiar in these common days today? 
And every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. Whoever is in the open field touches one who is slain by the sword or who has died or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. So this practice of quarantining (laughs) is nothing new under the sun. So this practice of quarantining is that all those who come into contact with a dead body was a public health issue. (laughs) So when you take a look at that, those potentially contaminated would be set aside until it could be seen if they are contacted any disease from this dead body that they touched. And they had to be careful because they had to be quarantined to see if something was going to happen. If not, it could spread and cause problems within this very, very concentrated tents of people. They were living together. Even the things that were vessels, things that the eating and drinking and things were open, if they were not covered and fastened, they can become unclean. In fact, this principle extended to every open vessel, which could potentially harbor disease, causing organisms to, from this dead body to contaminate their foods and get people really, really, really sick and die. So... Again, reducing the danger of this communicable diseases, they had to get rid of anything that could potentially have been contaminated and clean house or or it could spread very quickly. And what was inherently unclean about the dead body was simply that the death is the result and positive proof as we see the symbolism here connected with sin. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 and Romans 5.12. Death is like sin made visible. That's the symbolic piece of what death is. It is literally death is like sin made visible. So you cannot allow sin to permeate into the fellowship. That Sin has to be dealt with. It just can't just be lingering and think it's going to be okay. It can contaminate other people. And can bring death. If someone touched the carcass, as we see in the scripture, a dead animal, he was unclean for less than one day. Clean up, sit back, wait till the evening time for clearance. You're able to come back. But notice as we read that, and you go back to Leviticus 17, you can, and, uh, and uh, in the scriptures there, we studied all about that kinds of stuff in Leviticus. But if one touched a dead human, though, he was unclean for seven days. Much more important because man is indeed greater than an animal, especially when it comes to the symbolism of sin, especially greater in sin. Our contact with dead bodies also makes us unclean. In Romans 7, 24, Paul cries out in frustration of defeat in sin. He was defeated in sin. He found himself, Paul was defeated in sin at this moment. And what does he say in Romans 7, 24? Who will deliver me from this body of death? This body of sin. The correlation, the symbolic, is the same thing. We can only be delivered from the body of death if we receive and walk in the precious work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. It's called walking in the Spirit. 
That is how we stay cleansed, we stay right, and we do not let anything dwell of death or sin in our lives. It's got to be purged. It's got to be cleaned out. And you can only do that by coming to Jesus. The purification, the water. Now look at here in verses 19, 17 through 19. And for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification from sin and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. A clean person shall take hyssop and dip it into the water and sprinkle it on the tent and all the vessels on the persons who were there or on the one who touched a bone, the slain, the dead, or, the, or a grave. And the clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. And on the seventh day he shall purify himself, wash his clothes, bathe in water, and at evening shall be shall be clean. So here in verses 17 through 19, the ashes of the red heifer were sprinkled in fresh water, and this water was used for purification. It's a cleansing of, of the person and the things that are there. And we see that the ashes of the red heifer, which was the ingredients, all that we spoke of, right? But notice here, all the ingredients all speak to the work of Jesus on our behalf. Combined with water, the water is what is a symbol within the scripture. It speaks of the work of the word of God, and it also speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit within one's life. So you take the water that represents the word of God, the Holy Spirit, you bring about the ingredients that we talk about, combine them together to bring a cleansing, and it cleanses even the uncleanliness brought about by death. Where do we see in the scriptures that speak of this kind of thing? We see it when we studied in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, if you were with us on Sundays. All of this cleansing is a precise picture and the reality of Jesus in our lives. Let me read it for you. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the peering of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Do you see the connections there? What God is playing out right here in, a, in clear instructions to Moses Aaron to tell and to teach the people about the things that are laying out the foreshadowing and the foundation of the Messiah and who will fulfill that. And we see it spoken of in Hebrews chapter 9 exactly what we're talking about tonight. If in the Old Testament, if we're talking about having a heifer and sprinkling with this and this for cleansing, and it pleased God, how much more than the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin? The death, the sin, the death of our body, the, 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 as we you know, just read, even in Romans 7, 24, deliver me from this body of death. Or he could have said that from this body of sin. 
Because we can get spotted. We can fall short. We cannot be pleasing God in some things. And it's got to be cleansed. And we've got to be calling out and, and trusting in the finished work of Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ. And cleanse our conscience that we see in Hebrews from dead works, things that we think we're doing for God that somehow makes up to, for all the sins we don't want to give up. Cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You know what causes people from not serving God? It's not opportunity. <laughs> There's more work to be done for the kingdom of God than you can even begin. What stops people from living for God and Serving God is dead works, sinful works, things that are happening in their lives they're not willing to give up yet or struggle with versus trusting in the finished work of Jesus and just not, if you get spotted, just come to God throughout the day immediately when God brings it to light that things that don't please him and get it right with God and, and confess those things and stay cleansed. And be remembered that he died for all sin. And let the things that plague you just fade away. Stop focusing on them. Focusing on Jesus. Verse 20 and 22. But the man who is unclean and does not purify himself, that person shall be cut off from among the assembly, because he has defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. That's very, very serious. I, I ponder on that and I go... I, Lord, please, let us not allow open, rebellious, sinful people to just dwell like it's okay to live in habitual sin and think there's not consequences. And they can just act like there could be in the body of Christ like it's no big deal. And you're thinking to yourself, that doesn't happen here. You're right. It doesn't happen here <laughs> because the, the Holy Spirit, by the word of God, changes people. Or if they don't want to change, they leave. And they go find, unfortunately, they go find churches today that will allow them to dwell in sin, habitual sin, and live anything however they want and be like, it's okay. But I, I look at these scriptures like this and it's like, that's, you're unclean. You're not purifying yourself and you're just, they, they took it serious here. You were not going to be in the fellowship. You're going to contaminate the entire sanctuary of the Lord. Instead, the water of purification has not been sprinkled on him. He is unclean. But it was offered to him. They had an opportunity to be washed by the water, purified, cleansed by the water. They just chose they don't want to be. Because their flesh is so, just they want what they want. Verse 21, and it shall be a perpetual statue for them. This is going to be like a neon beacon of light in the middle of downtown New York City in Times Square. Just blinking, perpetual reminder of statue of what they've chosen. He who sprinkles the water of purification shall wash his clothes. And he who touches the water of purification shall be unclean until evening. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean. And the person who touches it shall be unclean until evening. 
I, I, I look at that nature of uncleanliness, that, that sense of uncleanliness in nature, and realize the consequences that has in other people's lives and not just that person. It shows that this uncleanliness cannot correct itself. You need to deal with that in your life. I don't know. I'm not worried about it. It's fine. It's no big deal. No, no. They couldn't say that. You touched a dead body. You, you have this, as we see the symbolic connection to sin. There's sin in your life that has to be dealt with. And, and it, uncleanliness, this does not just go away. An uncleanly man will not just become clean just because you did nothing. He must do something and he must do what God says and do it God's way. And it must be done in order to be clean. There's only one way and that's God's way. There's no man's way involved in this. Man's plans, man's schemes... Man's intuition in creating all kinds of things in their minds, they think, will not cleanse them. It will do nothing for them. There is only a way, and that is God's way. That's what he's saying here in verses 20 to 22. Those who help others to become clean must walk in cleanliness themselves. Right there. He who sprinkles the water of purification on someone to get them clean, they better be clean first. Oh, that should be a reminder for all people. You got sin in your, in your life? Don't be going over there and telling someone else and pointing out their sin. Get your life right when you know your life is a mess. And you have no desire to, as you're sprinkling them, telling you right, that you have no desire to change. I don't need to be, you're the one to do it. So it's a warning. Those who help others to become clean must walk in cleanliness themselves. The one who regards the water of cleansing as a common thing will himself be regarded as unclean. What's, you know, what's this water? It's just water. It has no value to me. Can you imagine? God made it very clear. If you're sitting there as a, in, in, as, a, as a Jew sitting there and you're like, what's this big deal about this ceremony? I have no time for this. I'm a pretty good guy. I got busier things to do. God says, you, you think this is just common? You think this is no big deal to you? Well, God made it clear. You're unclean. And if you're unclean, you're not fellowshipping. You're not going to be part of this. You're going to be set apart, cut off. I don't know about you. I don't want God saying, I'm cutting you off. Because you think, my, you think my, my truths or my statutes are no big deal to you. I, 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 don't, I can't imagine. Especially the nation of Israel. I mean, God literally spoke to Moses and Aaron who told him, this is what God said. We many times, the word of God says, God says, and people look at you and go, that's just common. I don't, that's, just, that's just man's writings. That's no big deal. I, I don't care. It doesn't mean anything to me. That happens today, too. You need to be cleansed. God says to come to him and, and, and repent and, and to change. No, I don't need change. 
I don't care what God's word says. Well, then you're unclean. You're not, you're not forgiven. You're <laughs> These are serious things here. It's not my words, it's God's words. That's what they're saying here. God's not messing around here. Whatever the unclean person touches shall be unclean. Because their uncleanliness is easily transmitted. But to be clean, you must diligently seek or deliberately seek after to be cleaned or cleansed. So verse nine, or chapter 19 tonight. How important it is that as we look at the scriptures and we see these connections to the New Covenant, the New Testament here, how important it is that we walk rightly with God, seeking deliberately after Him, looking at the Word of God to allow the Word of God, the water, to cleanse us, the water to cleanse us, to purify us as we sit there and the Word of God literally reveals to you and I the things that need to change in your life. That's not pleasing to God. It's not lining up with the Word of God. It doesn't matter what we think. It only matters what God thinks. And when you, God reveals these things as a child of God, you must repent of those. You must surrender these things and ask God for help to to just cleanse you at that moment, to forgive you, and that you want to have a new start. Your mercies are new every morning, Lord. I want to start fresh. I don't want to touch those things. I don't want to go in there anymore. I don't want to ponder on those things. I want to be, have this, your peace and that joy of yours just to fill me afresh. Is that your prayer life every day? Is that how you end your day as you're ready to follow going to, to go to sleep? Is that how you wake up in the morning and say, Lord, your new mercies are new every morning and I need you right now? And throughout the day. That's what it means by walking in the Spirit. And when you're walking in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And there's more and more scriptures that talks about how important it is to stay purified, to stay cleansed, to stay refreshed by the water that the Lord pours out through his word by the power of his Holy Spirit. And we must ask for the Holy Spirit just to wash over us and to cleanse us and to, to renew us and to refresh us and to fill that thirst that we would never thirst again, Jesus promised the woman at the well if you partake. Oh, how important the water is.